Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran for the poor who are restricted in their traveling in Allah's path who do not find a road in the earth the ignorant might think them to be needless because they will not accept help you see them and know them by their faces they do not beg of people but whatever you give of good know that Allah is knowing of that in this verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is praising the truly poor who are ashamed to ask and who when we look at them we might not think that they're poor at all this is of their dignity but Allah still urges us to give now that we have ended and sealed the fasting month of Ramadan one of the last things that we are required to do is to pay the zakat al-fitr and it is not much and we might think why this additional zakat as well as the zakat al-mal there is this additional small amount five pounds or so why the origins of this is to ensure that there is nobody on the day of Eid who goes hungry and the gift has to be really in wheat or in barley according to some of the ulama dates possibly cheese basic foodstuffs staples the staff of life this is important Ramadan is a time when we give away our desires and one of the things that we give is our wealth and I want to reflect on this because in the context of today's world our status as a generous ummah and Ramadan was the time when the Holy Prophet والسلام, was at his most generous كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أجود الناس وكان أجود ما يكون في رمضان that we are the ummah of givers Alhamdulillah even though we're not the wealthiest community in this country statistically we give more per head than members of any other community Alhamdulillah this karam which is the nobility of the believer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't care about the letters after our names He doesn't care about our ancestors He doesn't care about which class we're born into He doesn't care about status huh? but He cares about real nobility and this nobility in Arabic karam is linked to the idea of karim which means generous the generous person is the noble person the one who transcends his own selfish desires and cares for others in today's world this is not working very well today's world is a world of immense disparities between rich and poor haves, have-nots people with status people who are despised people with the right passports people with the wrong passports uh, it is an unequal age two centuries or more after the enlightenment launched the slogan of liberty equality fraternity never has the world been so unequal the richest one percent of adults own forty percent of the world's wealth this is historically incredible the three richest people in the world own more than the 50 poorest 
countries in the world all put together. This is extraordinary. In the US, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates own more than the poorest half of the American population. So much for the American dream. According to Oxfam and other charities, COVID has made this even worse. The rich survive, they sit on their yachts, they watch their investments, they've got gold, they're sitting pretty. But what about the man who is driving a taxi and can't? Or the cleaner whose office is closed because everybody's working from home? Or the restaurant owner whose restaurant is closed? So many people who are a bit more marginal are really suffering and have been suffering. And as an ummah, very often we're towards the bottom of the economic hierarchy and we too, our people, are suffering. And we should look to those who are needy in our families, in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, to see who is too proud to ask for help, but who really needs help. And maybe that help can take the form of doing something for his business, giving him or her a break, helping them out. It doesn't have to be a handout. But in the month of Ramadan, the last act of which really before the Eid is the Zakat al-Fitr, we are reminded that we are an ummah whose nobility comes about through generosity, through karam, through ikram. So, we are the ummah that cares. And the Qur'an is constantly urging us to care. Some of the very earliest verses of the Holy Qur'an to be revealed are about the need to care. Quraysh too was divided between the super-rich and the destitute, between Abu Lahab, Abu Jahl, Abu Sufyan, Umayyah ibn Khalaf on the one hand, the oligarchs of Quraysh, and those who were sleeping, starving in the dust outside their front doors. And the Qur'an urges us to fight against that. This is part of the fight of the Holy Prophet وسلم, the one who says, Subhanallah, very strong statement in this hadith. He says, were poverty to be a man, I would slay him. He himself chose poverty for himself. Because of his generosity and his supreme nobility, he was not concerned with dunya, he trusted in his Lord, but those who are in a state of compulsory poverty, who cannot feed their families, who are desperate, uh, the masakin, this makes him angry, alayhi salatu wasalam, and it is a sunnah to feel that anger. وَلِذِي الْقُرْبَى وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَكِينَ وَابْنِ السَّبِيلِ كَيْ لَا يَكُونَ دُولَةً بَيْنَ الْأَغْنِيَاءِ مِنْكُمْ The relative, the orphans, the destitute, the travellers give, distribute, so that the wealth may not circulate amongst the wealthy amongst you. Rich people doing deals with each other and maybe a few crumbs fall from their table, but basically it's the rich who get richer and the poor are destitute. So he was, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a man who cared for the poor, not just in theory, but in practice because he chose to live with the poor. He would not eat when his neighbor was hungry. This was impossible for him. The poet says, 
ظلمت صنة من أحيا الظلام إلى أن اشتكت قدماه الضر من ورمي وشد من سغب أحشاءه وطواه تحت الحجارة كشحا مطرف الأدم وراودته الجبال الشم من ذهب عن نفسه فأراها أيما شممي وأكدت زهده فيها ضرورته إن الضرورة لا تعدو على العصم وكيف تدعو إلى الدنيا ضرورة من لولاه لم تخرج الدنيا من العدم محمد سيد الكونين والثقلين والفريقين من عرب ومن عجم سبحان الله when we praise him we remember his poverty the poet says I have wronged the sunnah of the one who spent his nights in prayer standing so that his feet complained from the swelling the one who tightened a flat stone above his belly fortunate black fortunate stone to be pressed against that skin and the mountains themselves offered to turn to gold to take him for himself from himself but he turned his back on them and his doing without emphasized the necessity and the neediness that he was in but even that extreme necessity can never take a righteous person away from righteousness and how can necessity call to this world that person but for whom this world would not have come out of non-existence muhammad is the master of the two worlds and the two kinds men and jinn and the two types arabs and non-arabs this is his boast a countercultural boast look at the billionaires who boast of their yachts and their duplexes in monte carlo and their banks account bank accounts at marac fonseca and in switzerland boasting and boasting and boasting just about numbers but he says alayhi salatu wasalam al faqru fakhri poverty is my pride so we are to be the ummah of solidarity with the poor in this messed up world which tried communism to level this out and that failed and was a nightmare that tried socialism that has fizzled out that is now in the grip of this turbo capitalism that is crunching down upon the poor and this is not even a political left or right position the sunnah position is the poor come first give and give and give whatever you think the government should be doing give and give and give because there will always be baraka in your giving this is a time also when we see such disparities brought before our very eyes on our television screens the inequalities of power of wealth of privilege in this world are so extreme three maybe four years ago i had the great honor and privilege of saying the prayer of eid al-fitr in al-masjid al-aqsa one of the great experiences of my life the supreme place of supreme beauty and the eid prayer there in palestine what a beauty it is 
people come from the villages and it's difficult for them. Sometimes they're obstructed. Sometimes it takes them days and they sleep at the roadblocks because they want to make the prayer in a Masjid al-Aqsa. They know this is a prophetic commandment. They know that rewards are multiplied in the noble sanctuary. They know in the sound hadith narrated by Bukhari that we are required to go there. We go to the three sacrosanct mosques. And everybody who can should go in obedience to the Chosen One and to bring heart to the Palestinians who so often feel alone and abandoned. So they come from all over. They come from Yafa, from Janin, from Tul Karam. Uh, they come from Al Khalil. They come from Ramallah. They come from Ariha, all to the Haram. They flood through its gates, which open, except for one gate. Subhanallah, the Haram is so full of signs. The one gate that is always closed, that is blocked up with great stone slabs, the Golden Gate. It will only be opened when Sayyidina al-Mahdi comes to offer his triumphant prayer in that triumphant place. But the other gates, they're open. And Allah's slaves, very often, very poor. SubhanAllah. I met this old woman who'd come walking, because the buses weren't allowed to travel, all the way from Bethlehem. She wanted to pray in the Haram. How was she buying food and drink? This really poor woman with her wonky old shoes, kind of old age. It's a long, long walk, a day and a night perhaps. She'd bought a few old postcards which she was hoping to sell just to buy a little food, but she really wanted to pray in the haram. SubhanAllah. And they come before Fajr, during the night, and they bring their prayer carpets just as we do, because the mosque itself is not big enough, and the whole haram which is the real mosque, fills with them and they pray between the trees, between the beautiful olive trees. And they see all of the signs. And they see the place where the Holy Prophet tied up Al-Buraq. And they see the dome of the chain. And they see the dome of the rock. And they're praying in the cave underneath the rock where they say Sayyidina Maryam offered her devotion. The whole place is a miracle. And then the Adhan for Fajr soars up into that black Night sky, no moon, of course. This is the Eid. Ah. And the people line up. And the beautiful voice of the Imam, and it was Sheikh Yusuf Abu Sanayna, who has a connection to this mosque and has written uh, in support of this mosque in the past, subhanAllah, despite the enormous difficulties which he's facing, he thinks about us and prays for us. Beautiful voice. And those beautiful people, the poor, the destitute, some of them refugees, some of the weakest people on earth, there in that glorious place. And then the salam, but people don't leave. Everybody stays. And from the mosque you hear Quran and tasbih, and the takbir is of Eid, and beautiful things, and it's like being in heaven as the sky slowly becomes light. The rosy dawn spreads over from behind Jabal Zaytun, from behind the maqam of Rabi al-Adawiyah, uh, past the great tombs of Sayyidina Shaddad bin Aws, Ubadah ibn al-Samit, some of those who are closest to the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who are buried right there next to the Haram. 
And then the sky gets lighter. It's a miracle. I've never seen so beautiful a sky. And then the moment comes when the first golden shaft of the rising sun comes from behind the mountain and reaches the very top of the great golden dome of Qubbat al-Sakhra, the golden crescent. And then the golden dome bursts into a blaze of light. The people below are still in shadows and darkness. It's like it's still nighttime, but the dome is glowing. This extraordinary building built by the Khalifa Abdul Malik bin Marwan, which has been proudly there ever since, despite all the vicissitudes and the envy of the enviers of the crusaders, and it's still there. The beauty of that scene. And then when the sun is fully up, more tasbih, and then everybody lines up, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, walillahi alhamd, and with such joy and singleness of purpose, the poor, the weak, the destitute, the powerless, those with travel documents that are worth nothing internationally, line up in that glorious place, in that glorious scene, to face Al-Masjid Al-Haram, unified by that Qibla. I've never seen so beautiful a prayer in all of the Ummah of Islam. And the discipline and the restraint and the good adab of those people and their unity is wonderful and reassuring to the heart. But of course, when they go out, then the misfortunes begin again. The daily grind. They represent, in the most intense form, the inequalities of today's world. The haves against the have-nots. Those with status and power against those with no status and no power. But they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, we intended to bless those who were laid low and made weak in the earth and to make them imams and to make them the inheritors. And they have hope. Despite suffering a thousand times more than what we could ever imagine, they have hope and they have confidence. They have that glorious place. Masra Rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And they go out and they continue the struggle knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with the weak. He says, I am with the brokenhearted. And now we see that situation flaring up again. And the heart of every Muslim is there in the haram with them as they pray at this time amidst all of the flying bullets and the calamities and the misfortunes brought by that extreme inequality. But they have hope. And they tell me that they have hope because they trust in Rabbul Alameen. Remember the Holy Prophet وسلم, at the time of his Isra and Mi'raj when he was taken in that completely <coughs> unforeseeable way to that completely extraordinary place. That was when he was at his saddest. The year of sadness, his beloved ones had died. It looked as if Quraysh were going to prevail, but then he was given this extraordinary meeting. When he was two bows lengths, or still nearer. So the Palestinians have that awareness. They know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Lord of history. They know what happens ultimately when Fir'aun 
confronts Musa, when Nimrod confronts Ibrahim, when Abu Lahab confronts Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they know what is the outcome and they know who are the inheritors. What is the symbolism of that place? The glorious inclusivity of the religion that comes as a crown for the city. Not denying but affirming. What does he do, alayhi salatu wasalam, when he is in the noble sanctuary? He affirms the other prophets. He leads them in prayer. He has come to fulfill, not to negate. This inclusivity of the Holy Prophet and of Islam is part of the khatmiyyah of the final prophet, the inclusivity. He affirms that place and the great ones who love that place. So the Palestinians also know that that has to be the solution. And they look forward to a time when history will change. Wallahu khair al-makirin. Allah is the best of planners. Walk into any second-hand bookshop in Cambridge and look at an old atlas from, say, a hundred years ago and consider how the world has changed. Great empires overthrown, borders abolished, new borders created. The world is always in flux. It's fluid. This will continue. History is a series of unexpected surprises. So we do not despair. And we look forward to the day where the whole of the land, which the Holy Prophet has said is blessed, that holy land, will be once again free. Free in the sense that everybody will be equal. Jew, Christian, Muslim, equal. Able to live wherever they wish. Not suffering from discrimination. When the walls will crumble, when the cages will be unlocked, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's word will be uppermost once again, and the spirit of the Isra and the Mi'raj, and the beauty of the chosen one, alayhi salatu wasalam, who came ah, respectful of the Torah, respectful of the Injil, teaching us to love Sayyidina Musa, teaching us to love Sayyidina Isa. Ah, this is the reality of Islam. And this is the reality only of Islam. So we look forward to that time with confidence and prayers when the walls come down and the ugly terrorism is at an end and human beings once again can live as Allah wished, as Allah's servants, as brethren. So in these difficult times, when the immediate horizons look dark, we look to the further horizon and remember that Allah is khairul warithin, the best of inheritors. So the Holy Prophet والسلام, is pointing us to a bright future. Can used to love optimism. In all of those dark days when the world seemed to be against him in Mecca and in Medina and the Ahzab and Quraysh and all of those tribes, a tiny island of Tawheed <coughs> surrounded by a great surging ocean of envious and hateful polytheism. He was always hopeful. He knew that things returned to Allah. Allah is ala kulli shay'in qadir. And this should be the way of the Muslims. Uh, that we look for victory. Inna nasrallahi qareeb. Uh, 
Uh, Allah's victory, not victory on our terms, not a victory of vengefulness, not a victory of exclusion against another exclusion, but a victory which opens the horizons to everybody to coexist in respect as Abrahamic believers equally in a united land. Nothing else is good enough for that holy place. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring that healing to that place and to give us solidarity with those who are suffering in that place and insha'Allah to grant to those who have died righteously in that place the best of rewards. Barakallahu feekum, aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa lisa'iril muslimin.